The first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, reading through to verse 17. The words will be on the screen or on page 4 of the Bibles in the pews. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. And it's the latter half of the rules or instructions for, from Paul for Christian households. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jane. Let's pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Father, we thank you for your gift to us of the scriptures. Uh, We pray that as we look at your word now, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand them, uh, that you would show us more clearly who we are in you, and that you would send us out to live and work to your praise and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, let me add my own welcome to Emmanuel this morning, Uh, particularly welcome if you're new or a visitor. My name's Tom, I'm the vicar here. Um, Please do come and say hi at the end. I'd I'd love to meet you if we haven't met before. Uh, And we're thinking at the moment as we work through the book of Genesis about who we are and why we're here, about what it means to be human. Uh, And last week we saw that we're made in the image of God to reflect his character uh, and that we are made relational beings, that we need one another. And over the last week we launched our small groups in the evenings and in the daytime uh, and we're also launching uh, pods this term, groups of three to five people that can meet more flexibly if the small group rhythm isn't right for you. Uh, And please do over the next few um, weeks as you're doing that, try out those groups chat to people, work out which pod you'll join, and then just um, email in to small.groups at Emmanuel who you'd like to be in a group with. Uh, But but this uh, week, we didn't quite get time for it last week, there's a third aspect of what it means to be in the image of God, not just to reflect God's character, not just made um, relationally with one another. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the creatures of the land. And so being made in the image of God means that we were made in God's image to rule over all creation. That's not often something that we talk about, but it's intrinsic to who we are as people. Uh, And when Jesus returns and makes all things new, I don't know what you'll be picturing, what you picture will be doing in the new creation. I don't know what your mental image of heaven is like. Um, But in Revelation chapter 22, the final chapter of the Bible, talking about heaven, and let's just read verse 5. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5 says, um, They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's what we're actually going to be doing in heaven. We're going to reign with God over the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, So we were created in Genesis 1 in God's image to rule over all creation. For eternity in the new creation, we're going to reign with God over the new creation. What does that mean? Uh, Well, we're thinking today about work. Uh, And as we understand what it means that we've been made in God's image to rule, it totally changes the way that we experience work and rest in our day-to-day lives today. And when I say work, I don't mean paid work. Um, We all have a vocation. We all have a calling, work to do that we were created for, whether we're paid for it or not. And for some of us, and in some stages of our life, our paid work and our vocation might overlap a lot. Uh, That's the case for me. I'm I'm made to do this. I'm paid to do this. I'd do it for free. I'd do it even if I wasn't paid. This This is what I was made to do. Um, you might be in that stage where your paid work is right at the heart of what you were put on earth for. Uh, For others of us, we're not paid for our vocation. That's the case if you um, stay at home in order to raise and disciple your children. Uh, That's the case if you're retired and you don't need financial compensation for the work you do and the service you do anymore. Uh, That might be the case if you're called to do something but you can't find money for it. And so I, I always think of friends who take a job maybe washing dishes in a restaurant while they try to make it in the arts. They're pursuing a career in the arts, but they're they're being paid for something else to enable them to do it. Whether we're paid for it or not, we all have work to do. 
We all have purpose. The Lord has something for us here. That's true if from the youngest of us to the very oldest. Uh, we might retire from our, from our jobs. We don't retire as Christians. The Lord um, always has more for us. Uh, and yet in this broken world, after the fall, we don't live in Genesis 1. We live after Genesis 3, when our relationship with God is broken, our relationships with each other and with creation are broken. Um, often work itself, it's lost that good and beautiful place that God intended for it. And often we don't experience work as a gift, do we? We experience it as a burden, perhaps as a tyrant. Uh, but that's not how God made us in Genesis 1 and 2. We were made by God to rule over his creation in relationship with him. Uh, we were made to be co-creators with God. And what that means is that our work is meant to be meaningful. It's meant to be life-giving. Our work is meant to be a source of fulfilment and joy. Uh, that's what we were created for. To wake up every morning with a sense of purpose. Uh, to be able to say, I know why I'm here. I can see the difference that I make to other people. The difference that I make to God's world. The way that I serve the kingdom of God in my life and relationships. Uh, I'm energised by my work. It is a privilege and a joy, not a burden. That's how God created work. That's what he wants for each one of us. That will be perfectly true in the new creation when we're with him. Um, we reign with him forever. But we can experience a glimpse of it today. Uh, so in Genesis 2, God creates Adam. And we read how he places him in the Garden of Eden. And there's this lovely little phrase. He places him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And then there's this beautiful description of Eden, the rivers, the natural minerals from the ground, the animals. Uh, the paradise that God has created for you and I, his creatures, to rule. Uh, but notice that Eden is a paradise. There's no sin yet in the world. Everything's perfect. And yet there's still work. Work is a good thing. Work existed before the fall. God creates Adam to work the Garden of Eden. Um, and you can picture, can't you, the, the wild, untamed nature of Eden before any humans had existed. It's, it's jungle. It's desert. Uh, no, no minerals have yet been mined from the earth. No cities have yet been built. Science hasn't yet begun. There's so much potential in creation. And God puts Adam there to bring out from God's creation its full potential. That's what those words, work it and take care of it, mean. To work it means to cultivate it, to bring out the potential that is in nature. Uh, that means mining for ore, that means discoveries of science, that means building cities, that means using the raw materials of creation for God's glory and for our good. Uh, but it's not just to be worked and cultivated, it's also to be cared for. That means preserved. That means we're not thinking of the many ways that we've broken our planet and that we've abused creation. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us to exploit nature. It tells us to manage it. So we're meant to bring out from creation all of its potential in business and science and building and engineering and veterinary science and you name it but to do so in a way that honours its goodness and doesn't exploit it. And it begins Adam's work in Genesis 2 with the naming of the animals. There's chaos, there's just animals, but nobody knows what they're called or what they are. And so Adam starts as a biologist and he names the animals and he brings order out of chaos, which is partnering with God in God's work of creation because God brings, is the God who brings order out of chaos. At the beginning in Genesis 1.1, there's just formless void, emptiness, chaos. And then the Big Bang, there's light. And then all of the wonders of creation. And so our work is an invitation to be co-creators with God, to partner with God 
in what he is doing. Uh, and Earth's a, Earth's a training ground. This is the sandpit. And then for eternity, we will reign with God. We'll be given the freedom to cultivate, to nurture, to invest, to preserve, to bring out all the beauty of creation. Um, and this is in stark contrast to how all of the other surrounding cultures in the ancient Near East thought about work and about God. Genesis is radical. And you realise just how radical the Bible is when you compare it to perhaps its nearest counterpart, which is Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation epic. And in Enuma Elish, then there's lots of gods and they, they complain because they're working hard and they don't like it. So the gods come to Marduk, the king of the gods, and complain about the work they have to do. Uh, and he comes up with a cunning plan. And here's what he says. He says, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. He shall be charged with serving the gods so that they might be at ease. And most of the other creation myths from the ancient Near East are similar. Humans are created as slaves for the gods to do the chores that the gods don't want to do so that the gods can lie back and take it easy. Uh, and it's a picture of workers demeaning, isn't it? Nobody wants to work, we've just got to, so let's get people who are less than us to do it so that we can live off the fruit of what they do. That's not Genesis at all, is it? In Genesis, we don't discover a God who hates work or wants to create slaves to work for him. We discover a God who delights in work, who creates the heavens and the earth and says, it is good. A God who rests from his labour, not because he's bored or he's had enough, but because he's fulfilled and because he finds joy in his creation. And then we are created not to do stuff God doesn't want to do. We're created to join in with him in his pleasure and his delight to partner with him in the work of ruling over the creation that is good, to enjoy his presence and to look after the world as God's partners. Uh, And that means that work for each one of us, it is a means of fulfilling our God-given purpose. It's a way of contributing positively to God's kingdom on earth. It's a way of worshipping God when we do it with excellence, when we do it with dedication, when we offer what we do to the Lord. Uh, And so... Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't see if it's paid work, our vocations, just as a means, way to make money or advance materially, um, if it's things that we do without pay, just as a chore or burden that we've got to do because there's expectation on us, but a, a way to express the talents that God has given us, a way to contribute positively, a way to serve one another, a way to glorify God, if the way that we work reflects God's character, his love and his compassion and his justice, if our approach to creation is to cultivate it and bring out its potential without exploiting it, if the way we treat others is to nurture and develop and invest in them and not to exploit them for our own ends. That is what work is meant to be. Um, And of course it's rare in practice for us to experience work that way today, is it? Um, In the beginning, humans were made to rule over creation, but in the fall, an animal and a fruit rule over us. And so often that's what happens in practice. In our rebellion against God, our desire to do things our way, we turn work from a blessing and we make it a curse. Uh, and in two main ways, we, we, work becomes a tyrant over us and a burden on our shoulders. Uh, we make work a tyrant. Modern society does this um, so sadly. We glorify busyness and productivity and we neglect the essential need for rest. And so we become slaves to work. Instead of being a gift to us, it rules us. We work unsustainable hours, we chase more and more, we become addicted to achievement and the curse of work wrecks marriages and neglects children and ruins our health. And we've not just made work a tyrant, we've made it a burden. We've lost the vision for why we work. 
Uh, we don't just work because everyone else does or because we're expected to. We don't just work for the paycheck, though it's good to provide for our families. That's not the primary reason, though, that we work. Because in heaven, we won't need the paycheck and we will all work. In Eden, Adam works even before the fall. We work for the intrinsic goodness of it because it is why we were created to partner with God in ruling over all creation. So let me ask, have you found fulfilment in your work? Do you look forward to Monday morning? Are we working from rest? Or are we actually crushed by the burden of it, living according to a different pattern? My friends, there is a better way than the way of the world. There is a better way than the rat race that traps so many. We're called to walk to the beat of a different drum, to live at the pace of grace, not of the world's demands. A way that honours and glorifies work in a healthy way. It's a good thing, it's not a burden. It's a gift when it's used rightly. And there's two parts to this. There's seeing the goodness of our work. There's intentionally offering our work as worship to the Lord. Um, And there's embracing the freedom to rest, to stop work. Uh, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested. He set us a pattern to follow, to do good and meaningful work, but not to be enslaved by it, to be able to put it down and say, now it stops and I rest, to lay it down and practice Sabbath. Uh, And notice that man is created, and so then our work begins as the seventh day starts. We actually start from rest. Uh, we're not to be ground down under unending labour. We're meant to, we, we often approach it as resting from our work. We work for five days and then get a break at the weekend. No, in Genesis 1 and 2, we work from rest rather than resting from work. Do you see the difference? We, we sit with the Lord. We're present with him. We're renewed. And from that place of overflow, then we go to work and we serve and we give glory to God. But we are rested and working from that rest. Rest isn't just a pause from work, it is an intrinsic and vital part of God's design for us. It's for our physical and our emotional and our spiritual well-being. And rest is an act of trust in God's provision and God's sovereignty that we don't have to. We're not ultimate. We don't worship our work. We're not enslaved to it. God is in control. We're free. And so we can put down tools and we can rest. I learned a lot about this from my dad a few years ago. Dad leads a, a large church in the Midlands and there was a point where it was just awful. There was, safeguarding, there was a safeguarding crisis in the church. There was an HR crisis in the church. There was lots of personal conflict. It was really painful. And I watched the cost of ministry on dad in those years with all this pain going on. And it was so much burden that it was, you, it's when ministers tend to burn out. Sadly, around the country, ministers are burning out left, right and centre. Uh, and what Dad did, that I, I, I hope I never need to put this in practice, but I, I learnt a lot, was when the weight and the pain and the attrition of ministry was so great, he lent into rest. He started taking three days off instead of one day off every week. At the point the church needed him most, he did less uh, and went away for a long weekend. And he did that for a, a year or two. And what it meant was that he never burnt out. He, he kept going. He stood up under the pressure because he rested when he needed it and is still in ministry now and didn't crash out and led the church through it. Uh, And I think all of us need to embrace that freedom to rest. Uh, When we reach the end of ourselves, we're not ultimate, God is ultimate. We rest and then from that rest we work. We can't get trapped under the burden of work as tyrant. 
we follow, a, we follow the King of Kings. We walk to a different pace, the pace of grace. And we need to rest in order to work. Rest is a prophetic act. It's a pointer, it's a symbol pointing to the new creation, to God's work in renewing and restoring his world, to the fact that God is in control and we're not. And so we are free, we are at liberty to rest because he's in control. And the good news of the gospel in this is that God hasn't left us in the mess that we've made of our world. He hasn't left us to ourselves. He's come to save us. Our salvation is his gift, bought with his blood on the cross. So too is our future, an eternity with him, perfectly rested in his presence, fully ourselves, doing meaningful work, reigning with him over the new heavens and the new earth. And that means that both work and rest are the gifts of God. Because if we just work without rest, we end up exhausted and burnt out. It's not good for us. But if we just rest without work, it becomes empty and meaningless, doesn't it? When we lack purpose and don't know how we contribute. Uh, a helpful way of thinking of, of this is a pendulum swinging from work to rest and work to rest. And we were created to live in that swing, six days of work and then Sabbath. Work and rest, work and rest. And the problem is that often the pendulum just gets stuck and it gets stuck at the work end, and we're working and working and working, and we don't get restored. Um, or it gets stuck at the other end, and we don't know how we contribute. We lack purpose. We feel empty and apathetic about life, and we're looking for a way to, to give. Um, the key to the pendulum is it needs to keep moving. So I wonder if, if you're in a season where you've just been stuck in work. Do you need to embrace Sabbath? Do you need to step back? Do you need to live at the pace of grace? Do you need to be freed by the fact that God is in control to express it in the way we were created to do? Don't get stuck on work. Or perhaps you're looking actively, I need to contribute. I don't know what, how I give. I don't know what I was put on earth for. I know that I'll reign with God forever. I know that he's got work for me to do here and in heaven. But I don't know what it is. I'm looking for how I contribute. That's a journey we're going to go on as a church family this year so that everybody can know their place in the life of the family. But keep the pendulum moving. Don't get stuck just on work. Don't get stuck just on rest. We need both as an expression of who we are. That is what we're made for. Isn't that good news? We were made to partner with God in reigning over creation, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's partnering with him in our working lives, partnering with him in our relationships, seeking justice and mercy and dignity for all, reflecting God's heart for humanity. Uh, so tomorrow morning, as you go back to work, you're not just a parent struggling to get kids ready for school. You are partnering with God in investing in his people, in his kingdom. You're not just retired and slowing down. You are partnering with God in serving others, in interceding, in spiritual warfare, in leaving a legacy in the lives of those who follow you. You're not just an engineer or building a business. You are partnering with God in ordering creation in ways that will help people to thrive. You're not just a student or a carer or a teacher or a nurse. You are someone who is partnering with God to nurture and care for others. Shall we pray? And shall we ask the Lord to help us to reflect his image as we reign with him? If the band would like to come back and if you'd like to stand with me, let's pray and ask God to help us to embrace both work and rest. 
to reflect the image of the one who made us. And so, Father, come and help us, we pray. Would you send your spirit? Thank you that you are present in our midst. Uh, we come to you carrying the brokenness of how work and rest work in our world today. We know we need you. We know we are not living perfectly according to your pattern. Would you lift our eyes to see the work that you have created for us to do? Would you liberate us from the burden that we were not made to carry and give us rest for our souls? Send your Holy Spirit on us now, we pray, as we wait for you. As we wait in the quiet. I know there's some of us here who are ju we just feel weary. We're, we're crushed under the burden of the demands on us and the Lord wants to give us rest for our souls. Just allow the Lord to minister his rest to you. He has all that you need. Underneath are the everlasting arms. He does not grow weary. Just receive from him what you need for the day ahead. Out of you, he's calling you. He has purpose for you. He has good work for you to do. The reason you were made, and he's, he's beckoning you. He's in, there's an invitation to be who you were made to be. Father, we thank you for your good gifts of both work and rest. Would you lead us? Would you help us? Would you empower us? Would you equip us as we reflect your image in the world? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.